Welcome to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. Today's episode brings you IT modernization in government. Here's your host, Luke McCormick. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss best practices with IT modernization strategies in the federal government. With me on today's show are Rocky Campione, Chief Information Officer, Department of Energy. Perian Ashmore, Deputy Chief Information Officer with Health and Human Services. Ralph Havens, President, Infoblox Federal. Earl Underwood, Director of Systems and Integration Office, Department of State. Nicholas Spies, Chief Federal Technologist with Snowflake. And Habib Harani, Team Lead Federal Solutions Engineer with Okta. Well, we're talking about IT modernization. We have three very large departments that are well on their way with IT modernization and transformation, and three partners that are helping uh, integrate, enable all those capabilities. Rocky, we're going to start with you and talk about uh, what's going on over at Department of Energy. You've been over there a few months. Yeah, about eight months now. It's mm-hmm. uh, still great to be there. It's still, uh, I think, one of the best places to work in government. We have great people doing great things. Um, I am continually impressed by uh, the innovations that our national labs and our uh, sites and facilities around the complex continue to bring to bear to the American people and help solve our nation's largest problems. But I want to talk about modernization. Um, we've got a great modernization story right now. Um, using the Technology uh, Modernization Fund, so TMF, um, we started about a year ago uh, in our path to getting all of our on-premises email up to the cloud. So uh, over the past year, we've been moving along that line, moving about 20,000 people. We've already paid back some of our money. So not only have we received the money, we've started the paybacks, which we're really excited about. That's um, very important to O&B. It is. <laughs> right. It's important to us, too. I sure, mean, of course. American people's money, and we need to make sure that uh, when they make an investment, that they're getting a return on their investment. But we are successfully migrating not just our email, but we're also moving out of our data centers, which also helps save, uh, can uh, help save some money and save, um, give us some more flexibilities. Uh, so we're moving a large portion of our on-premises environment into both AWS, Azure, and looking at other commercial clouds available. Um, and we've been doing that over the last year. Um, and we're really excited about that. And I'm most excited. I keep, uh, I keep moving the date on my folks you know, I'd like to be out of our data centers, our main data centers, by the end of this fiscal year. Um, uh, because when we do that, I think we have more redundancy. We have, uh, we're more resilient um, because our data centers are getting older. So uh, moving out of that data center and uh, on the on-premises environment up into those cloud environments. Makes really a lot of sense. Uh, how many data centers are we talking about? Well, we have two major data centers right. mm-hmm. that we have um, on the federal space. We have three One's kind of a, a cold backup, but we have two major data centers, uh, and we're moving out of those first. Across the complex, it's a little bit uh, more difficult mm-hmm. because some of our data centers house the largest computers in the world or the fastest computers in the world. We'll likely not get rid of those data sure, centers. Sure. Um, but we, uh, but when we talk about our major federal data centers, um, we have two, and we will always have a small footprint, but we can drastically reduce that right. footprint. Right, and, and when you make these transformations, 
functionality a lot of times goes up, reliability. Yep. It's not just a cost thing. There's all kinds of capability. Absolutely. HHS, I know you all are, are on a journey as well. Very large uh, department with lots of different operating components. A lot of moving parts going on over there. That's true. Tell us what's happening on your IT modernization journey. Thanks, Luke. I, so at HHS, um, <clears throat> a lot of recent victories. Uh, the biggest one is use of our recurrent neural network, uh, HHS Accelerate. Uh, what we've done just recently is we've actually used that recurrent neural network to optimize our acquisition processes. So uh, with a recent contract award, uh, reading more than in this neural network, uh, we consume more than the number of pages in the Library of Congress of old acquisition data, and we're able to save and return to the mission $33 million just by purchasing smarter. Wow. Um, and. And that's what you know, we're doing. And, and through the leadership of HHS, it's about returning money to the mission, returning days to the mission. So in another effort that's uh, gotten a lot of notoriety recently is a project that we've worked with our chief human capital officer on, which is the idea of sharing certificates of eligibility within the department. By using that process, uh, we've created databases for use by our managers of over 30,000 resumes we're able to shave over 70 days off the hiring process. So again, returning 70 days to the mission, as important as what we do to protect the health and well-being of the American people, is imperative. So that's been the focus of our work, is really finding ways to return days and dollars to the mission. That's awesome, and, 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 and now more than ever, right? Now Just more a, than ever. Just a perfect Absolutely. example of where, you know, uh, the good folks at HHS, you know, uh, uh, come out of the uh, uh, come out of the woodwork, so to speak, and and are uh, uh, off and running and making sure we keep this country safe. Ralph, how about at InfoBlox? You know, there's a lot of modernization going on, a lot of transformation, uh, and then a whole bunch of technology that's in place. A lot of partners to make that happen, right? You all are right smack in the middle of that. Uh, tell us what's going on and what you're seeing across the community in regards to uh, the different IT modernization activities. Thank you, Luke. So transformation that I've seen in the last three, five years is InfoBlox has provided products and services to automate core network services. What's that? DNS, DHCP, and IP address management. Not very sexy. And until there was a broader realization that DNS is inherently open and unsecure, it was just not a sexy thing. It didn't have any priority, didn't have any focus. The changes that have occurred over the last three to five years have been a more proactive approach to scaling and securing and automating those core network services. Now agencies with InfoBlox are looking at a proactive, how do I scale for the future? How do I scale to secure? How do I look at data center consolidation and take a, an active approach in doing that versus a reactive approach? Yeah, and you know, and it, it, as we start to you know, move out of these data centers was described by, uh, by Rocky, uh, you're getting into these environments where the network becomes such a core piece of, uh, you know, enabling this modernization journey and, and uh, the, the different elements inside of those networks become a real uh, important part of, of, of gluing all this together. Earl, I know there's a whole bunch of activity going on at State. Once again, another very complex environment. Uh, when we talk about global, uh, you guys, I think, have the... Uh, have the, uh, the, uh, the, the mastery of that, right? You're, you're in uh, a lot of different countries, et cetera. Whole bunch of activity going on at, uh, at uh, State. Tell us about the modernization journey you're on. All right, good afternoon, Luke. Uh, so first, uh, through the 
data center optimization initiative, uh, we've been looking at how we cons can consolidate our data centers uh, and make them more capable. Uh, we are migrating a lot of stuff to the cloud, and we'll get into a little bit of that. But really, the first place we had to look at is we had a lease facility that was costing us a lot of money. Mm. So we took an approach of using modular data centers, which we see a lot of the big commercial uh, cloud providers using, uh, to modernize our data centers without having to do brick and mortar, save a lot of money, get the people out of the data center, keep just the equipment there. So we have successfully completed that and we have a modular data center that is up and running. Um, on top of that, within that same uh, effort, we looked at the equipment that we were buying and using within the data centers. Historically, we were buying servers, switches, networks, um, storage, and putting it together ourselves. We decided to go down a path of buying a converge stack that gives you all of that at once mm. um, and allows you to then maintain a lot more consistently your environment. Uh, within that converged stack, we also deployed at the enterprise level high availability and disaster recovery so that the system owners don't have to worry so much about how they're going to ensure availability of their systems or disaster recovery in case of a failure. We're doing that at the enterprise level. They can focus on their system and then we automatically take care of that for them. We also had to modernize our networks as we migrated more and more information to the cloud. Our network, especially our WANs going overseas through our posts, we're not fully capable of handling all of the backhaul of traffic. So we spent the last two years optimizing our core infrastructure and improving the ISP connections to the post. And then finally, one of the biggest challenges we've had is around the procurement cycle. So we spent a considerable effort uh, in acquisitions working with our partners there to ensure that we had enterprise license agreements in place for the majority of the capabilities that we needed, especially on cloud services and also on network capabilities. So that has brought to bear the ability to then consolidate individual purchases that were going on with the bureaus and at post into a single ELA, saving a significant amount of money. Wow, a lot of heavy lifting going on over there at State, and it really is fascinating to see a lot of this capability that's now available in these, uh, we'll call them hybrid clouds that allow some of this on-prem, off-prem, sort of a mesh kind of capability uh, which is remarkable, the progress that's been made in that technology space over the last uh, three or four years, which is giving uh, all of you a lot of options, uh, and it sounds like you guys are really exploiting that. Nick, how about at Snowflake? I know there's a lot of activity going on over there. You see a lot of activity going on across the community, both in the federal sector, in the private sector. It's all about the data, right? We do. Uh, the, these stories are all fantastic, and they're also very familiar. Right? It, it's the, the trend that we see across the industry from Snowflake's perspective is we don't typically spend a lot of time talking about the latest CPUs or the, how much RAM we have in our servers. What we end up talking about is outcomes. Right? Mr. Underwood, Mr. Campioni being able to downsize the number of data centers their organizations are using. Mr. Ashmore shortening the time it takes to hire somebody into that organization and make an impact. Mr. Havens making things more secure with more secure products and services from his company. Um, these are all things that Snowflake has seen from a very high level. It's the outcomes that IT modernization is responsible for. IT modernization as a construct doesn't have a direct benefit. It's what we use those modern architectures to do in our organizations that drives value. Snowflake's happy to be a part of that architecture across federal and civilian markets. Um, and it's, 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 a, uh, it's, it's a great testament to, 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 you know, we used to talk 
on these shows uh, early on about, you know, sort of, I always called it pliers and wires. Now we're talking about outcome and we're talking about enabling the mission, right? And, and the IT community has really uh, become the mission enabler, which is, um, you know, what they've always been, but there's much more of a tight stitch to that now. And you see that across the board, right? When you look at the president's management agenda, right? They talk about, you know, how are we gonna help the farmers, right? How are we gonna help the, uh, the American public, et cetera? They're not talking about data center consolidation and getting from 100 to 10. We're talking about, you know, smart uh, uh, cloud type capabilities, which is all about enabling. Uh, so very good points. Uh, we're going to let you talk about what Okta is first a little bit. So you could just sure. introduce that to the audience of folks that may not know what that is. And then tell us sort of what's going on across the community. Because once again, a very important technology that's stitching together a lot of these transformation activities. Absolutely. And thank you for having me on. Um, and the word stitching that you use is actually a great lead into what Okta does. So Okta is all about identity and access management. Now, what we where we look at this is more and more of these federal agencies and everybody on stage is a great example. Not only are they interacting with their internal employees, but they've also now have to pull in the citizens, maybe foreign nationals, foreign governments. So they have identities literally coming from across the world. And how do you pull that in? Right? We've seen a shift where the identity no longer sits within your network. It's global. Right? Everybody's got smartphones. Everybody's working remote. So how do you start to protect that? From an Okta perspective, I think the foundation of that is uh, moving towards a zero trust architecture. We've seen that be a, a, a big hit within the federal government as well as commercial. Um, <clears throat> but then to enable that, right, we have to start looking at supporting those hybrid environments. And what we end up seeing as an outcome of that is being able to start to reduce that legacy footprint that you have in your data centers and start to move that up into the cloud, right? Start to shift those workloads up be able to start to build policies around how people are signing into your systems and put context around that. Who's doing it? When? Are they doing it under the right conditions? Should they have that access? And continually monitoring that to make sure that the right person is getting the right level of access. It's super important. I was just out at RSA earlier this week and uh, one of the CISOs of a Fortune 50 company out there said, you know, there's a lot of hackers out there trying to hack in, uh, but the good hackers don't hack in, they log in. And uh, when you think about that for a minute, you say, yeah, you know, and uh, uh, so non-repudiation, all these other things, really important. Uh, and uh, that type of technology you're describing there is, uh, is uh, a big piece of that. Uh, we're going to go to specific programs. Parent, I'm going to start with you at HHS. Give us an example of a, a specific program that you all are, are, are working on that you'd like to highlight for the audience. So, um, unfortunately, um, with the coronavirus, not only are our men and women on the ground working every day uh, to deal with that emergency, but also now phishing attacks to the department using coronavirus um, as the subject line have been coming through. Wow. So recently, uh, we've implemented some very smart technology um, at our email capture points um, that has actually defeated that um, using some artificial intelligence capabilities that we didn't have prior to this um, so the team was able to defeat attack just last week. Um, and we're able to message to our employees quickly, this is what's going on. So phishing, <clears throat> at least for the department uh, at this time, has become a, a, a major issue, something we would not have expected a few years ago. Uh, and remarkable. And I know it's, it's got to be all hands on deck over there. And it, uh, it, uh, 
um, is um, frustrating, I guess, to hear that, uh, you know, your men and women have to deal with something like that. But fantastic that you've been able to introduce some technology to take that off the table so that they can fight the good fight, so to speak. Uh, Ralph, how about at Infoblocks? Can you give us an example of a program that you're uh, perhaps working on um, that you'd like to highlight for the, uh, for the community here? Certainly. So six months ago, a customer reached out. They had a sizing elasticity issue in their network. They had Infoblocks in their network. They had employed several other solutions. We all worked well together. But they you know, showed up on a Monday morning and DNS was down. That's a problem. Mm. Um, and it's not a problem until it's a problem. So they reached out to all the partners in their ecosystem. We sat the down. DNS is down. This is a major problem, yes, sir. right? All so of a sudden, you're not accessing anything. So every, we, 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 we showed up on a Monday. All of our partners showed up. We provided a solution by Friday. And Infoblox was chosen to help the agency move forward. And feedback that was given to us was eye-opening because it wasn't that we, as a team, solved the problem we solved for the network, right? Previously, we've seen where we used to always solve for capacity, right? I got a red light, how do I turn it green? Okay, I'm good, I'll move on to the next priority. We walked in and we solved for capacity. We solved not for the red light turning green, we solved for the future. The customer saw that in our solution, has deployed that over the course of the last six months, and now has one of the more secure, one of the more scalable DNS architectures in the government. I would imagine that you see that uh, quite a bit, uh, similar types of situations like that, correct? Yes, and it's a matter of identification and prioritization. It's prevalent across government and civilian and commercial agencies. It's a matter of do I recognize that and what priority do I put on solving that versus the other, the other instances, the other, you know, the other problems or issues and concerns that I have on my network. Right, and uh, good to see that an agency was to be able to identify the issue, uh, identify some capability, introduce it into their environment, get that done relatively quickly. It's back to some of this uh, procurement stuff that you're talking about, you know, where you're able to, to actually uh, modernize the way to acquire goods and services. And I know there's been a lot of activity around hiring, too, as far as, you know, uh, rapid ways to do hiring, which is important. Well, we're going to take a quick break before, and, and then we'll circle back. Uh, you're listening to the Federal Executive Forum part of the Federal News Network. Government agencies are embracing the benefits of cloud technology faster than ever as they recognize the need for innovative solutions to modernize infrastructures, increase security, and reduce costs. While serving citizens better, new policies are being introduced to ensure agencies are meeting standards, such as those laid out by the OMB's memo on FICOM. Learn how Okta can help accelerate your agency's mission with modern zero-trust identity. Visit okta.com forward slash government. That's okta.com forward slash government. Snowflake is the cloud data platform. Federal agencies require modern business agility and secure data insights to leverage data as a strategic asset across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com federal. 
That's snowflake.com slash federal. Broader advancements in technology and the evolving threat landscape are putting unprecedented pressure on today's government networks and IT leadership to provide stronger security. What if you had an in-depth strategy to protect your assets, reduce risk, and simplify network management? Infoblox Federal offers a forward-thinking approach to the mandates, regulations, risk, and challenges that affect the way government agencies design and use their networks. To learn more, visit InfoBloxFederal.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. With me on today's show are Rocky Campione with Department of Energy, Karen Ashmore with Health and Human Services, Ralph Havens with Infoblox, Earl Underwood with Department of State, Nicholas Spies with Snowflakes, and Habib Harani with Okta. We're talking about IT modernization. We were talking about specific programs. Rocky, how about at Energy? Can you give us a specific program that you'd like to highlight as far as your IT modernization journey? Absolutely. I wanted to briefly touch on two. One that's done, which was moving off analog phone lines to VoIP. That kind of finished up in FY19. That was a a completed modernization. Um, But then there's one that's ongoing now, too, and I talked about it earlier, moving from our on-premises environment up into the cloud. So we started this in FY19 um, with migration readiness assessments to understand what we had, you know, what, what our systems look like, what the data look like, how can we optimize. We've moved about 30% of them up into the cloud already, into AWS, and then to Microsoft Azure Gov. Um, and what we're excited about is we're already seeing the benefits of modernization. Um, uh, was mentioned earlier, you don't modernize, you know, modernization isn't, isn't the reason you do it, you do it because it gives you more capabilities. So once we modernize, once we're in a cloud environment, we uh, have an ability to bring in innovation. Um, And with our AI office and a lot of what we're doing in AI, once we get to that cloud environment, we have those new capabilities and new services that the cloud vendors are bringing to bear rapidly in order to solve mission problems. So we're really proud of not just the VoIP, which is we've completed, but we're really proud of as we move into cloud environments, the innovation that we enable for the rest of the department. Right, and uh, you know, a lot of this journey was about, you know, can we reduce our costs but, um, and reliability? But all of a sudden, you know, that there's there's a there's a, a incredible amount of functionality that you're mm-hmm. getting when you're starting to uh, to embark in these different types of technologies and these Absolutely. journeys. Um, Habib, how about at Okta? Can you give us an example of uh, some programs out there that uh, um, a specific one? that mm-hmm. perhaps you all have been working on that you'd like to highlight. I'm um, sure, and I'll give you two if you don't mind. Sure. Um, because the way Okta looks at the identity is there's the internal, so the workforce of the agencies that are on the panel, and then there's the external, the citizens that they may be interfacing with. Um, so I'll, I'll pick on, on Perrin first. Um, and with uh, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the quality payment program went under a, a huge modernization. And what we ended up doing is modernizing not only how the user signed into it, but we were able to build an identity proofing as part of the registration process to make sure that it's the right person signing in, giving them secure access to the systems, and now we have somewhere in the realm of, uh, I want to say, 5 million identities for CMS um, and the quality payment program. And Okta's the front door to all of that and making sure that the right person gets paid out for the work they've done. Um, When we look at the internal use cases, so flipping the coin real quick, um, I'll, I'll pick on, on Rocky and Energy, and we have the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And they had to undergo a modernization effort where they've, they've been a very cloud-first program within Energy. 
Um, so now they started bringing in some more SaaS applications, more modern applications, and they had to start supporting uh, essentially modern authentication protocols, which they really didn't in the past. Um, so they procured Okta in an effort to start to build this platform that gave them essentially the security they needed to make sure that someone that works for SPR that's out in the oil fields um, has the same level of security as someone working for SPR HQ and uh, being able to still access the appropriate applications under the right conditions. So Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's amazing that once you start to broaden your, your computing footprint, whether it's a, a SaaS, you know, cloud type play, a hybrid play, or a full cloud play, all of a sudden this identity issue becomes even more uh, uh, complex and, and, and super important because you're not inside your walls anymore, right? So uh, you really have to uh, have some, some fantastic technology and modern technology to enable that and make sure that you're doing it properly. Uh, Nick, how about um, at, uh, well, hang on, let, let, let's go over to, uh, to Earl at State. Give us an example. You touched on a lot of different activities there. Uh, give us an example of one program that you'd like to highlight um, uh, for the audience. So, um, historically at State, uh, we managed all of our email, document management, SharePoint, et cetera, on-prem, and we had these large infrastructures. Two years ago, we went down a path of engaging with Microsoft and migrating to Office 365. So over the last two years, we've migrated over 107,000 users from an on-prem exchange infrastructure distributed around the world with exchange servers setting at post into Office 365. So now all of their email is there. We also had very large implementations of SharePoint on-prem for our unclassed environment, over 40,000 sites. We've migrated 100% of that into the cloud. And then as a part of that also user file storage, which again was distributed at post and uh, around our data centers, we have migrated over 50% of that information out into OneDrive in a Microsoft Cloud. What this does is that brings all of that information together for a user, so when I'm looking for things that I need to act upon today, I no longer have to go to multiple data stores to find that information. I can, from the O365 console, single search, be able to see all of my information. So it's really improved the usability of the data for the customer because now they have their information in a single data store. Sure, I'm sure it's reduced your complexity as far as you know how you're managing, et cetera. I can't imagine having gone through a, a micro, micro version of that, uh, having to deal with that on a global scale, now migrating that into the cloud. You know, the, your complexity goes down, functionality as you're pointing out here goes way up. I'm sure that uh, every state employee is really enjoying that capability, and so is the IRM organization, right? Absolutely. Uh, Nick, now over to you. Um, uh, tell us uh, about a program that uh, you're working on, you know, across maybe one of these agencies that you'd like to point out for the audience. Yep, happy to. Uh, yeah. the, the solution that we targeted is actually very similar to one of the things that Okta is very good at protecting against. In the authentication world, it's impossible for an individual to authenticate from two states that are on opposite sides of the country at the same time. It wouldn't be possible to be in Florida and California. In Snowflake's world, we took that same problem set and applied that to certain billing operations where someone would try to collect a fund or bill something from Florida or California or New York all in the same exact time at the same exact day, which obviously would be impossible. And in today's constructs, those agencies or those different organizations may not be able to see each other's data and audit that to ensure that that 
transaction gets stopped before it happens. It's often a clawback activity, which takes time, takes effort, costs money, and often is self-defeating. In the Snowflake world with private exchanges, with cross-cloud collaboration, whether you're in Azure, Microsoft uh, uh, Clouds, or if you're over in AWS or Google Cloud, that data can be shared and collaborated on in Snowflake and allows that transaction to be blocked in the future instead of just audited and recollected, which is what we do today. Wow, that's a, uh, um, uh, a sophisticated solution to a very complex problem, right? It is, and it affects every organization, every agency in the government, I believe. 100%. Um, well, I like to talk about, uh, with all of these early adoption going on, I always like to give you all an opportunity to uh, share with the audience lessons learned. And uh, those could be lessons learned on the plus side, lessons <laughs> learned on the minus side. Perrin, I'm going to start with you. You all are involved in a lot of different activity. Weird. And for uh, 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 the sharing audience here, uh, tell us about some lessons learned that you're, uh, you're uh, discovering that you'd like to offer. Well, well Luke, you know, um, hearing the conversation, uh, what's different, and I've, I've been doing this a long time, I may look young, but uh, <laughs> I started programming back in 1979. But, but what these new solutions allow one to do is move incrementally, which is a great thing. That, that means that in a department like ours, it's very federated with some, with some very significant legacy technology um, that is imperative that it stays up. We can put in these new solutions and move at a rate and pace that makes sense for us. <clears throat> and that's what I would say is our biggest lesson learned. It, it, a long, long ago, you would think you would have to move the entire enterprise at one time. That's completely changed. You can now move when it makes sense and when the time is right and when you're ready, when the money's there, when the people are there. And so that's the biggest game changer. And the, and the other thing that I, I would say, and, and Jose, Ariad, and I, I say consistently is, once you make an investment in any of these solutions, you must go all in. Maximize your utilization of that investment. Don't try to buy best of breed of everything master the platforms that you've brought forward and then determine what's lacking. Don't go out and try to buy one off of everything. You will destroy the user experience. And that's when the users come at you, as Rocky will attest, is when their computers boot up you know, slowly. Or for example, a, a certain feature doesn't fire off when you would expect it to fire off consistently because it's conflicted with some other product we've deployed. So those are some of the lessons that we've learned. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's uh, you know, making sure that um, uh, some of these, uh, these capabilities aren't competing with each other, exactly. right? And so you can get consistent on that user experience is, is definitely super important. Uh, Habib, how about at, uh, at uh, ACTA? I'm sure you've seen some lessons learned as you're <laughs> deploying these capabilities, pluses and minuses. And I always like to give the positives, too, that, you know, here was a, a great experience and it was because of this versus, you know, hey, watch out for that. So, but I'll leave that one up to you. Oh, Maybe yeah. one of both if you have them. No pressure, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, what we're starting to see is there is that move to best in breed, um, like Perrin says, and, and they're being very deliberate in the selection of the product. Because as part of that, what they're looking for is to be future-proof, to be resilient, right? When you start to deprecate data centers, there, there's a cost return to that. But the flip side to that is you, you, you lose some control over that software, so you want to make sure that it's built in a way that two, three, four, five years down the line, you're not pigeonholed into something that isn't adapting to the world around it. Because the truth is IT moves so fast that there is no standing still. 
Um, some of the other things that, that we've seen are that hybrid um, scenario and, and that migration path. It, candidly, all these, all these agencies are way too big to do a rip and replace. That is by far the exception. And even then, it's probably an exception to the exception's exception. Um, so being able to provide a solution that gives them that path where we can support that hybrid environment where they are today and give them that path to the future, um, we see that as a, as a recurring theme as well. Right, and, and I think it's, uh, it's um, a delicate balance. I, I think the, the, the folks that uh, tried the rip and replace model uh, have been up here talking about the lessons learned in regards to uh, uh, how that doesn't work. But again, with the introduce, uh, introduction of all this new technology, uh, a lot easier to, uh, to do sort of this incremental step as you were describing. Earl, how about at State? I'm sure you have a lot of lessons learned there that you'd like to, perhaps one or two that you'd like to uh, offer to the community. Absolutely. Yeah. I, would, I would say that from a technology perspective, while difficult, that's actually the easiest part of the transition. It's the cultural change that you have to put into play for your users. Historically, our users are used to being on an operating system or a productivity suite for four, five, six years at a time. Now that we've migrated out to the cloud for many of our capabilities, they're getting changes weekly, sometimes daily, on how their system interacts with their email, with SharePoint, with their workflows. So being able to quickly provide those users with number one, communication that the change is coming, and education on what that change is and how best to use that. And if you look at it from the IT perspective, as I mentioned, we're migrating all of this data out of post overseas and back into either the enterprise data center or out to the cloud. So I have IT specialists that are sitting at post that are used to racking and stacking servers, patching operating yeah. systems, installing software. They're no longer doing that. So now we have to educate them and bring them into a new philosophy of they need to be out with the business and helping the customer adapt to the new capabilities very quickly because we want them to get the full utilization of the capabilities. So those are the things that we've really learned that technology is easy, it's the change in the organization, and then change in the organization also, because we're changing how we're conducting business, there's gonna be some organizational structure changes that will have to occur. So we're looking at how we can do that in the best manner to ensure that we're providing a quality service and not having folks go through multiple tiers of support when they need support, when it's really all collaborative and in the same cloud. Right, really two different uh, dynamics of uh, one, you know, your own employees getting their cheese moved, so to speak, right? Because they're, they're now not racking and stacking, they're off doing another capability, but you know, this adoption for every State Department employee using this new technology and then becoming sort of an ambassador of that, Fascinating to hear that. Ralph, how about at Infoblox? I'm sure you've got some examples of some lessons learned there. Certainly, some lessons learned for Infoblox and our customers as they proceed with modernization. Um, one uh, is visibility. Uh, understanding that I can't secure what I can't see. It's remarkable how networks have grown over the last 20, 30, 40 years and what's not known about our networks. Um, scale, I mentioned earlier, solving for capacity. Don't solve for today, but solve for tomorrow. Solve for that scalability and integration. And, and one that I think Infoblox has undertaken, and it's not talked about enough, is, is the ecosystem play. Ecosystem, what that means to us is our technology alliances and working together with our partners and understanding uh, we're not all competitive. 
we're all collaborative, really at our core, and want to solve the agency's problems. So some of our best successes, some of our best customer successes have been pulling us all in together, not separate, and understanding that holistic approach to solving for X on the network, using that best in class, using the best of what every vendor has to bring to bear. Right, and anytime you can make that seamless and uh, uh, sort of a, a low dose on the, uh, on, the, uh, on the operators, on the customers, I think uh, certainly they would all appreciate it. Uh, Rocky, how about at uh, Energy? I'm sure you've got some lessons learned out there as you're going on this journey. <laughs> we, every day. Um, sure. <laughs> and hopefully not the same one every other day. Um, but it's, it's I'm at the end, so I might repeat a lot of what we've talked about, but um, communication. Yeah. Uh, communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, you need to communicate. Why are you doing it? It might not always be about cost savings. It could be. It could be cost savings. It could be. Um, uh, it could be cost savings. It could be. We want uh, new capabilities. It could be our our physical infrastructure is falling down around us, so it's a more safe, uh, safer and secure um, environment. Could be a lot of different reasons, but everybody needs to understand why. Because if you modernize and your CFO thinks you're modernizing to save money and you don't, you failed. If you modernize and um, you're just moving out of a, a falling data center into a more stable cloud environment, but you're not changing the underlying application and your users think they're going to get something new and fresh and exciting and they don't, you failed. Sure. So you've got to communicate so that people understand why you're doing it. Um, and you also have to communicate what's changing. Um, how do they access it? May that change? How do because change is scary, right? And I mean, it's it's everybody knows it. There's books written about it. I think we mentioned who moved my cheese earlier. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, business business books about change, but you have to tell people what's changing so that they know and they can ex and you've set expectations appropriately. And when you don't do it from an IT perspective, we can say, hey, we moved all your email. It's great. And they say, yeah, but I can't save the file anymore. Or, you know, how I used to send my email, it doesn't look the same, so I don't like how it looks. Um, and it could be a failure because you didn't communicate what's changing. You didn't communicate why. Um, so the big lesson learned is make sure everybody has a common understanding of why you're doing modernization um, so that they don't have a different expectation at the end than what you went in with. Setting those expectations, what's going to happen, and in some cases, what's not going to happen. Nick, how about it's Snowflake? Give us uh, an example of a lesson learned there. Yeah, absolutely. I have two. Uh, the first is I can't agree any more with Mr. Underwood or Mr. Campioni. The culture is uh, the most prominent feature and the biggest requirement that any agency has to meet in IT modernization. Getting buy-in into the changes that you're making to a core infrastructure and core way of doing business in any organization is key. And getting that buy-in uh, a lot of times is very difficult. My favorite quote, culture eat strategy for breakfast, uh, it goes across every organization ever on the planet. Uh, the, the core responsibility there for us as designing these systems is how are my folks going to use that system? How can it make us more efficient? Uh, and that's what we have to get to. And on the other side, I would say maximize the value you get from commercial products and build that top value add layer yourselves. 
in that open source technology, in your own tools, in your own algorithms, but maximize the value you can get from commercially available products today. Set a baseline and then uh, uh, do what you need to do per agency. It's a fascinating subject here. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Uh, you've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Broader advancements in technology and the evolving threat landscape are putting unprecedented pressure on today's government networks and IT leadership to provide stronger security. What if you had an in-depth strategy to protect your assets, reduce risk, and simplify network management. Infoblox Federal offers a forward-thinking approach to the mandates, regulations, risk, and challenges that affect the way government agencies design and use their networks. To learn more, visit InfoBloxFederal.com. Snowflake is the cloud data platform. Federal agencies require modern business agility and secure data insights to leverage data as a strategic asset across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com federal. That's snowflake.com federal. Government agencies are embracing the benefits of cloud technology faster than ever as they recognize the need for innovative solutions to modernize infrastructures, increase security, and reduce costs. While serving citizens better, new policies are being introduced to ensure agencies are meeting standards, such as those laid out by the OMB's memo on FICOM. Learn how Okta can help accelerate your agency's mission with modern zero-trust identity. Visit okta.com forward slash government. That's okta.com forward slash government. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. With me on today's show are Rocky Campione, Department of Energy, Perrin Ashmore with Health and Human Services, Ralph Havens with Infoblox, Earl Underwood with the Department of State, Nicholas Spies with Snowflake, and Habib Harani with Okta. We're talking about IT modernizations. We're going to talk about priorities. Earl, let's start with you uh, at State. Let's talk about priorities for this year. We're just into 2020. What do you got on the deck for this year? Thanks, Luke. So uh, while us technologists really love to play with the technology and get all the new whiz-bang stuff, we really have to look at the user. So our CIO has told us that he wants us to focus on the field first. So as we're rolling these technologies, making sure that we're putting those capabilities into the hands of the users, and we're actually getting their feedback very quickly using Agile to make sure that what we're delivering is actually meeting their needs. As a part of that, we have a program underway to consolidate our identities using Okta to make sure that instead of users having to have multiple accounts in multiple systems, they have one single access store that has not only their access rights, but also the authentication. So that it's a seamless integration between different systems. Secondly, uh, one of the things that we're doing is we have an enterprise ELA with ServiceNow, our legacy ITSM solution that manages all of our IT assets as well as our service requests and incidents is being updated to ServiceNow in the cloud. And so we have a significant focus on rolling that out. We're going to roll that out again using agile methodologies so they get minimal viable product out to the customers very quickly. As a part of that, what we're hoping to also give the customers is a lot of self-service capabilities so that they no longer have to submit a ticket and wait on a human to respond, that it's already automated and they can get the services they need near real time. Fantastic. A lot of simplification there uh, going on and a lot of enabling with your uh, 
with your employees. Uh, Perrin, how about at HHS? Top priority for you this year? So it's all about uh, saving money and returning money to the mission. Okay. So we are uh, embarking upon uh, work with our major vendors. Uh, we're going through our neural network results. Uh, we've identified three major targets for this year to close out with either enterprise agreements, like Earl was discussing, mm-hmm. or new forms of a blanket purchase agreement with those vendors. But we are going to drive that cost out, try to do things as a department, uh, taking our department needs to the, to the vendor community and trying to drive out costs. And for the vendor community, try to drive down their administrative cost because now we're hoping to manage through a single vehicle versus sure. hundreds of vehicles. Right. The other thing that will begin in the summer is our network transition to the new GSA vehicle. Mm. So that's currently underway. But again, for a department spread out as we are, it's a major transition effort that will impact every component of the department. It could last up to 18, 20 months to get this done. But that is a multi-million dollar effort. That will start this summer. Those those discussions are underway now with the vendor communities, and and those are the two major ones that that I see. And and there, of course there are more, but those of course are the big ones. a lot on the deck there. And I would imagine that second one, once done, will save a lot of money as well, perhaps. And that's fantastic. Big effort there, Rocky. How about at energy? What's uh, what's the top priority for you this year? Top priority is getting out of on-premises data centers, moving to the cloud, and deploying multiple cloud. Um, multiple cloud environments. So not just kind of a Microsoft Azure government, but the Azure commercial, AWS mm. government and commercial, uh, getting Google um, environments stood up and not just stood up, but ATO'd, have governance structures around it. And the reason is, is when we have that environment and there are other clouds too. Sure. Those are kind of going to be the first ones that we hit. Um, once we set that up, we've set up the, we've set a platform for innovation for the rest of the department, because we've stood up these capabilities, and the department just has to come in with the application on top, and say, "Here's the application that impacts my mission," because we have a modern, innovative, multiple modern, innovative cloud environments that can meet different security needs, can meet different capability needs, and we think that that'll really have a positive impact on the mission. So that's everything we're doing, whether it's from an enterprise architecture perspective, looking at, um, you know, so that we can help identify what's better, you know, what application uh, works better in which cloud. Um, on our uh, IT operation side, making sure we have the bandwidth for it, making sure that we've migrated to them and making sure we've set them up in a secure fashion. Really laying that it's, foundation it's down. foundational. So, right, yep. so that, you know, every, every one of those operating components can be successful, all the labs, et cetera in that multi-cloud kind of environment. And uh, being able to manage that is, uh, is another uh, dynamic that uh, I'm sure you're well on your way. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna bring it back down to the end and we're gonna start with you, Habib. And we're gonna ask you to paint a picture of you know, what does the future look like? As you guys are you know, in the Petri dish developing things <laughs> and uh, you're looking at sort of what's going on across the community, what, is it, what does that look like out, you know, just two or three years, say? Yeah, um, so one of the big focuses for us, um, and I think Earl hit it on the head, is, is the end user experience, um, because change is hard. So there's a, a big push within Okta to try to make and bring to the government that commercial end user experience that you do every day when you go to the bank or you go to any other application and be able to have the federal government be as smooth, as friction-free, and as secure as as we're seeing on, on the enterprise side. So. 
Uh, internally, for us, that means focusing on higher security accreditations, right? Moving into FedRAMP High, making sure that we secure um, IL-4, IL-5, so that we can start to get, we can start to extend our services to, to more agencies. Um, I think the other thing we're looking at, to, to Perrin's point about getting the most out of the vendors that you're choosing, is we have a, a big focus on automations and being able to leverage Okta as that identity store the way state is using us today and having that central repository, but then being able to extend that to all the applications that you're pulling in, whether it's a new cloud app or it's a new on-prem app that you just, you have to continue to support to Rocky's point, um, but being able to have that one vendor do a really good job and get you the most bang for your buck. So you're not trying to pick out a bunch of different little applications to try to fill in some of these Super important because as things simplify, they get more complex in a different kind of way. And so I'm glad to see that you all are thinking about that and putting capability in place to address that. Nick, how about at Snowflake? What's the future look like? So Snowflake's very proud of our history of helping our customers and partners in government be more data-driven in their decision-making. I think in the next couple of years, we'll see more of a drive towards interagency collaboration, uh, some secure data collaboration and sharing. Snowflake as a platform is a phenomenal place for that to occur and to enable that. So our drive over the next few years is to really push that platform and help our uh, government partners start to collaborate between agencies. Wow, fantastic. Earl, um, if I'm a diplomat, you know, I got my, my, my first new post out in, uh, you know, name the country, you know, what, what's that experience going to look like in two or three years? What's the future hold for, for the State Department over the next uh, two to three years? So we have several things that we're working on. Number one is mobility. Uh, trying to ensure that our diplomats are able to work no matter whether they're sitting at the desk, they're traveling, commuting to and from work, or they're at off-site working with some of their NGOs or other partners. So we got a big focus on ensuring that not only do they have cell phone access to their data, but full access through laptops and other methods. Mm -hmm. As a part of that, we need to update our networks. State has been a little behind the curve on enabling Wi-Fi capabilities. Mm. So within our embassies overseas and all our domestic facilities, we're installing Wi-Fi that, we c that can be used for unclass processing of our information. That then allows the users to move from desk to conference room to cafeteria with their device and have a seamless interaction with their information, continue up on their email, continue editing the document that they're working on. So we're looking at that very uh, hard. Um, IoT, we have lots of devices in all of these facilities that are communicating what's going on within the building, also mm. communicating what's going on with entry and exit points, getting all of that information off of disparate networks and into a consolidated environment so that we can take AI and machine learning and use that to help manage the facilities, manage access, identify when there's an issue with individuals entering, identify issues with heating, plumbing, et cetera. So a lot of big focus on that. And then finally, robotic automation. As we put more and more of this information into these large data sets, how can we data mine that using the knowledge that we have there to help the customer through bots and other things so that we can quickly get them to the answers that they're looking for? And really start to, uh, you know, um, uh, enable a new functionality there. And I would imagine with the IoT stuff, it's not only... Um, being able to do some AI and ML on that, but also you, you're probably securing that in a much better environment, right, as you, you transition that over. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Ralph, how about at InfoBlocks? I mean, what's, uh, as you all are, 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 you know, right smack in the middle of this uh, transformation, if you will, 
what are you all thinking about in regards to, you know, out two or three years in respect sure. to, uh, you know, the community? For InfoBlocks, we're, we're working to continue to improve visibility, network security, and automation of those core network services, what we've done for the last 20 years. We're also adding improved threat intelligence and understanding uh, the bad actors, um, helping customers commercially and federally. We see thousands of threat indicators a day. How do I discern quickly which one matters? We're working to provide a connectedness frontline to data center as the networks shrink and evolve. How do I maintain that visibility and that security from the frontline to the data center? And we're working to provide a broader access to all of these services, cloud or on-prem. Um, interesting dynamic there in, in regards to sort of closing that loop from one end to the other, right? Bringing that together and stitching it is uh, super important. And I'm glad to see that you guys are focusing a lot of attention on that. Uh, Perrin, how about at HHS? Uh, you know, what, what does the, the, the future look like? You've got a lot of things going on over there right now, a whole bunch of activity going on sure. in your operating components. I think the uh, biggest thing you'll see in the next couple of years is our ability to share data with our partners, whether they're inside the government or outside the government. You'll see us make great strides in that work. In that work. The, Ed Simcox and his team have set, have set a, a platform baseline uh, Jose is now, in, Arietta has now inherited that, and you'll see us work faster and smarter to complete electronically user data sharing agreements, using the cloud to spin up environments so that researchers can have the data, we can protect it. The other thing that I would say that we're looking for our uh, software applications vendor community to do a job of thinking about accessibility before we get the product. Mm. Um, it is, it is imperative that the community who delivers to the federal government starts thinking about accessibility, security, and privacy before they hand a product to the government. And that today, what we find ourselves doing is building that in after we get the product. So we think in two or three years, that should, that should be done with. We, we should be getting products that we can immediately put in place and that our entire community can take use of from the, from the day we launch it, not wait until we've remediated certain issues to make it more accessible, for example. Right, go through that testing program and find out that this is not really 508 right. compliant, that you have to go through a series of steps to be able right. to use that. And you've got a, a community that uh, is trying to access your, your, your services there that uh, you know needs that kind of capability. Everybody needs that Everyone kind of capability, no matter what agency it is. That's correct. I would imagine. So uh, on that open data piece of that, so you're saying that you're going to do that and you'll see a much open, more, more, even more than it is today in regards to not only your partners in the sort of medical community, but it sounds like out to the general public? To the general public. Yeah. We, we think we can make that step. And, and Ed Simcox's team has, has kind of laid that foundation for us and given us a vision. We'll start with our immediate communities of interest, but we think at some point... Uh, yes, in, in two or three years that we'll start to be able to do that. That's fa fantastic and fascinating. I can't imagine some of the uh, capability that will happen once you unlock a lot of that information. Uh, Rocky, how about at Energy? Uh, a lot of activity going on over there. Uh, what does the future look like over the course of two or three years? You'll have your data centers consolidated, <laughs> yep. right? You'll have some of that Absolutely. out of the way. Uh, what's it going to look like out there three years from now? Well, first I wanted to take a moment and talk about whatever we do in the future um, is based on the work that's been done in the past. 
and we were at the federal CIO council meeting yesterday, and it was Joe Klemovich, his last CIO council meeting as he leaves federal service. Um, 40 years for, of federal, 40 years of federal incredible, service. Yeah. Renee Wynn at NASA's uh, moving on soon. I think mm -hmm. that's Both been announced. been on the show here. Yeah, and, uh, and really what we do, even at a specific agency, when you look at the community as a whole, CIOs as a whole, as, a whole, as we share information, as one of us does something great and shares it, we can all, you know, I'm already going to talk to Perrin and say, what did you do with neural networks? You know, we can feed off each other. So a lot of what our capabilities are today are based off of the great work that our pre that you know predecessors have across the IT community. We the stand government. on the back of the giant, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but but uh, you were asking about e energy too, so thank you for letting me say that about uh, some of the CIOs that are leaving. But I also want to talk about what does it look like at energy, and, and I talked about creating a platform for innovation. So I think in the next two to five years, because we'll have created that platform, will really allow our mission. Uh, our mission offices to really benefit from that. Uh, there's, you can't have a meeting at the Department of Energy and not talk about AI, artificial intelligence right now. Sure. We stood up a brand new office for it. We have 600 AI uh, projects going on across the complex. And by creating that platform, we will allow for new innovations, not just in AI, but across the board, which will really help impact the mission. So what do I see in the next two to five years? Uh, I see a lot of um, innovation, a lot of uh, really smart people doing things that I can't even think about today. And we just want to make sure we set that table for them and let them go forward. Right. And I would imagine that once you uh, enable all of yeah. this uh, computing capability to happen across those multiple networks, you're going to put a lot of computing capability in the hands of uh, all these scientists, et yep. cetera. And uh, uh, I can't imagine that that's going to be... Uh, what, what, what the future is going to hold in that regard. I, I can't either. I just need to make sure I give them the platform to do it. Give so them the platform great. to do it, make sure it's secure, make sure it's reliable, et cetera. Absolutely. We'll do a quick turbo round here. I like doing this. I'm going to start with you, Perrin. And this one is really on sort of the, 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 uh, the uh, we'll call them the barriers, right? You know, where's the, uh, as you look at uh, the capabilities that you're trying to implement today and what you're doing in the future, is it money? Is it is it culture? Is it hiring? Is it you know acquisitions? All of the above, that kind of thing. So, uh, what, what would you consider sort of you know sort of your top area that you're trying to address to make sure you can go go go? So, so I think it's what Rocky pointed out, and that is championing other people's work. Um, we've heard about some work being done at Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. Um, we at the department need to embrace that work and figure out how to celebrate it and how to partner with our divisions to take the work farther. And, and today what we're finding as a barrier is that everyone wants to stand up their own individual platform or solution. Um, and so that presents both a financial risk and acquisition risk. So we need to just find better ways to do that. And I think under Jose's leadership, we've been building those bridges to our divisions where we're beginning to trust one another. We're gonna understand that our needs are similar and where we can work together, we will, because it's both, it, it, it gets you both speed and it gets you a cost savings. Um, so it's, it's convincing people that it's okay to do work that way. Well, I think you've capsulized what the whole community is thinking. Uh, and we're going to wrap it up here. I'd like to thank today's guests for taking their time out of their busy schedules to join us for the program. I'd like to thank the sponsors here for which we don't have a show. 
I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Radio that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you. Thank you for listening to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. This show was produced by the Trezza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.